What is it that's actually holding you back from shooting your lowest scores? Well, in today's podcast, we have special guest Simon Dyson, six-time European Tour winner, to share with you some simple tools that you can apply to your game that will actually really help you get better at golf. Not just improve your golf swing, actually make a huge difference to the way you play the game. Now, this podcast is actually a live webinar recording that we did as part of our uh, membership program for our members of Me and My Golf. And uh, we do this every month, and it's either me and Pierce or a special guest. And this month's special guest was Simon Dyson. So we're going to be sharing it with you. There's so many things that you can learn from this, from mindset to strategy to practice and so much more. So I hope you enjoy this. If you are new to the podcast, then make sure you hit that subscribe and also leave us a rating or review. And... Let us know that you're listening to this by screenshotting this and tag us in over on Instagram and Simon Dyson. Thanks again, guys. And let's get to the podcast with Simon Dyson. Right. Okay. I think we'll get started with the rest okay. who can join us a little bit later. So, guys, thank you so much for, um, first of all, this is, um, I was just speaking to Simon before this, this is the most amount of people we've had for a webinar um, we've sent a couple of emails out and we pushed it out in the Facebook group. So thank you so much for for joining tonight i'm excited about this one because we've got somebody who's who's been there done that and experienced it today's guest as you can see simon dyson's got nine professional wins six on the european tour three klm opens he won the alfred dunhill links where he beat rory rory was runner-up by i think he beat him by three shots he's played in all the majors i think the best finish simon was tied six in the pga championship was that the best one it was yeah southern hills yeah Exactly. So, look, it, it's it's amazing that we've got such an experienced golfer and um, and now turned coach. Like 2019, you sort of hang, hung your playing boots up and and decided to transition into into the coaching world. And I think the one thing that that you, it, that's evident is that your strive for greatness in your in your uh, playing, you've just transferred that to your coaching. And I think one of the reasons why. Um, we've got you on tonight is just because of your approach to to the game as well, Simon. It's just it's amazing to see how much time and effort you're putting into to getting better as a golf coach, and the fact that that you are not just a swing coach. You look at all the aspects of the game from fitness to strategy to to mindset to practice, because we know as golf coaches that um, there's a lot more. You know, in terms of getting better at a game, there's a lot more. And this is what we want to talk about today. Really, the whole point of this, this webinar is to really help the guys listen to someone who's been there, done that, and had the experience and sharing some of the knowledge and get, getting the guys a chance to do that. So, Simon, welcome to the podcast. It really is good. To, well, the webinar, it really is good to see you. But it's going to go into a podcast. That's <laughs> it is. It is. in your head, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me. I always love doing stuff like this. So, yeah, thank you, Andy. That's nice pleasure. And look, look for the for the... The attendees in this, Simon's give up his time. He's out there doing a golf school in, in Turkey. So, look, you, you're giving up your time do, during, during work. So, really appreciate that as well. So, just to give everyone a heads up, just to give you an idea of what the, the schedule of this webinar is going to be like. Pierce isn't here. He's actually with his wife. He's got to do something, unfortunately. But we're going to spend the first half an hour, just really me and Simon chatting about a few different things. And then the second half an hour is going to be where Simon gets a chance to answer your questions. So feel free to post any questions in the chat. Um, as we're going through, we'll get to them after half an hour and then we'll do as, as best we can to answer as many questions and help you guys um, have a great year this year. That's what ultimately we want to be able to get practical things that you can apply. So um, I think 
first of all, Simon, it'd be great just to give, we've got people from all over the world here as well in, in the webinar, but just great to give a little bit of a brief history of, of your career. I think it'd be great for them to sort of get an idea of exactly what you've done um, and how you've got to where you were. Yeah, I mean, so basically I, I played the amateur ranks, you know, I played for, I'm, I'm a Yorkshire boy. Um, so I played for Yorkshire, played for England, played for GB&I, uh, kind of went up the ranks, played Walker Cup, which for me was, it was my goal all day, all year long to try and play Walker Cup. That's the pinnacle for me of amateur golf coming from Britain. Uh, so I managed to do that in Nairn in 99. So then it was like, right, I've reached probably as high as I can get, apart from winning, say, the British amateur. Uh, what do I do now? So I tried to qualify for the European Tour and didn't, missed out at second stage. And it was my coach, Pete Cowan, <clears throat> who literally said, like, I was just going to play around England for a bit, for a year. And he was like, no, you know, you need a bit more competition. He said, I've got you some money together. We're going to send you to Asian Q School. So I was like, okay. So there was 10 of us went out, flew to uh, Singapore, over the water to a place called Johor Bahru in Malaysia. First stage, 200 guys, 12, 12 places. So they split the 200 guys into 100 on each course, and there was 12 places on each course. So only 12% are making it, basically. And I managed to finish about sixth that week, that day. So I got through and everyone else didn't. So all of a sudden, like, I'm halfway around the world and I'm on my own. But I had a caddy with me, he was a good guy. Managed to get through second stage and then finished second in final stage, which got me full play rights for Asia. And just learned so much. It was such a nice place to be and play golf. You know, Asia's lovely, I love the place. But you had people from South America, America, Australia, and it was just like a real big family playing. So I felt right at home straight away. And I managed to win the Macau Open, which was like my sixth, probably my sixth event. Uh, and then I won the Volvo China Open the week after. And then I won the Hong Kong Open, the final event of the year, I won the Hong Kong Open to win the Order of Merit, which was huge for me. No rookie had ever done that. So that was nice to do. That got me into final stage of Q school in Europe. And I got my card that way as well. And by winning Asia, I got a Japanese tour card as well. So in 2001, I had Europe, Japan and Asia. But obviously I focused on Europe and because that's obviously where my goal was, where I wanted to play. I still went back and played Asia a bit. Uh, but I focused mainly on, on Europe. And I had a few quiet years. You know, the transition from amateur to pro came very easy. And then all of a sudden I got on Europe and it was like, well, why aren't I winning all of a sudden? But the standard is a lot higher, as we know. And it took me a few years to get bedded in. And it wasn't until I was doing all right, finishing like 70th, 80th, 90th on order of merit. Um, top 115 used to keep the card. And then it wasn't until 2005, one of my good pals, Nick Doherty, I remember he beat Monty and Thomas Beyond down the stretch in Singapore and he won the Singapore Open and then I'd had a fantastic season. And I literally sat him down at the end of the year and I just went, what have you done? And he told me everything he'd done. 
what had changed his fitness, his eating, his drinking. And I was like, it was finally the, as my dad would say, probably the kick up the arse that I needed. Yeah. I was quite happy to plod along. And it was a proper kick up the arse because I'm seeing one of my best mates achieving all this. And I was like, I want that. And literally from that day, I just changed everything. I stopped drinking caffeine because I thought, well, caffeine probably makes me jittery. So it's, it'll help me with my putting. You know, I got in the gym once or twice a day, practiced properly, was planning my practice rounds better. And so I, I came out in 2006 and won within three months, won the Indonesian Open within three months. And that was it then. You get that sniff of success and you think, well, that works. Let's just carry on doing it. And then I won about five months later, the KLM Open. And then just had steady years up until, yeah, 2009 was the big year where I won the KLM again and won the Dunhill, which got me in the top 50 in the world, which was a massive milestone for me. You know, play the Masters, that was a huge dream of mine. Pete had often invited me over to the Masters and I'd say to him, no, first time I ever go, I want to play. Yeah, I don't just want to go as a spectator. And I got to do that in 2012, uh, sorry, 2010. And then, yeah, I had a pretty quiet year, 2010, but then I had a really good year, 2011 as well. It was almost like as soon as I started to feel I was having a dip, I like vamped everything up, fitness, mindset, things like that. Um, and then I had a good year in 11, won KLM again. And won the Irish, which was a which was a great event for me to win. The history of it, yeah, and yeah, and then you know played for a few years after that, and then got injured in 2015, which was a big blow really because I'd had a good year in 2014, and then I literally I was playing with my mates, hit a shot, snapped the sub sheath in my wrist that holds the tendon in place, and and that was it. I took a year off and just wasn't the same player when I came back. And I'll, I'll talk a bit more about that when we talk about like mindset and things, because my mindset changed when I came back. Yeah. And it's only through coaching. I've gone back to my playing mindset and I'm probably playing better now than I have done for six or seven years. Yeah. That's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. We'll definitely get into that because I know it's something that you're passionate about and, and really into. Just a quick question. What, what do you think that... Um, was your superpower as let's say as a player what what do you think it was if you could pinpoint one thing for you that made you win and so good what would that be if you had to pick one thing god it's hard to pick one thing i know there's a lot there but what's your two that massively stand out for me was my driving my driving was just i remember having the old sq square driver and i just never used to miss a fairway with it you know, you'd be lads hitting four iron off these tees, trying to just make sure they hit the fairway, and I'm just hitting driver. And I think the, my ability to have the confidence to drive it that well, it just sets the hole up. Yeah. And you can make a lot of birdies that way. And I never felt like I was taking a risk pulling it out because it was the best club in my bag. So if it's the best club in my bag, I'm going to use it to my advantage. Um, and my other one was just pure work ethic, I think. And I felt like I was the fittest guy on tour because I worked the hardest at it. I mean, everyone does now, but back then, there was a lot of guys working hard at it, but I was working really hard at it. Yeah. 
you know, and the point came for me where I remember playing the Desert Classic in Dubai and like the last, I was, I think I was like seven under for my round after like 13 holes on the Sunday. So I'm really firing up the leaderboard and I just hit a brick wall and my mind went, my body went and I limped home. I, I bogeyed four of the last five holes and I just thought, oh, I'm absolutely knackered. And then that's when I really looked at my fitness and what I was eating, things like that. And, and then I got it to a stage where I'd finish a tournament on a Sunday and I'd think I could play another 18 here. Yeah. You know, I was that fit, but I think it helped. It did help me physically, but it helped me more mentally as well. Cause I was standing on that first tee thinking, well, I'm the fittest guy here. You know, I'm yeah. two shots up on you already. So the work ethic, that side of it, uh, working with Pete, keeping it very simple, never changing much, just working on shot shape, shot flight, and just being the, having the ability to work your ball. Yeah. Never once thinking about my swing. It was yeah. all about what I wanted to do with the ball. And they were the two big things, work ethic and my fitness, I think. Yeah, I think, I think there's a lot to learn from that. I think we, we heard Rory, we spoke to Rory at the, a few weeks ago, well, probably a couple of months ago now in November, and he'd gone back from, instead of focusing so much on swing, and swing is important, yeah. but he felt like he was trying to get the golf swing to do everything for him, yeah. rather than think about what he wanted the golf ball <clears> to do and almost let his body figure out a way to do it, really. And I think Absolutely. a lot of the, the, the attendees here in the webinar um, it, it's it's such an important thing to maybe have some awareness of what you do golf swing wise, but there's so much merit in actually just really being, and we'll get into some of the visualization stuff, I'm sure a little bit later, but really understanding and having a clear picture of what you want to do really. Yeah. Um, the one thing I, I want to go into is obviously you've made the transition now into coaching and obviously you're, you're out there doing a sort of coaching trip in, in Turkey. Where do you see the biggest opportunity at the moment with the golfers that you coach and just in general, where do you see the biggest opportunity for them to get better that they're overlooking? First thing that stands out for me is basic fundamentals. It actually, it doesn't astound me. It surprises me a little bit of how nobody works them. I mention Ian Poulter all the time because nobody works on fundamentals better than him. And I truly believe that's why he's had the career he's had, because he's worked on the basics and he's never got too complicated. His swing hasn't changed in 20 years. And you and see him on the red. It's technically not that good either when you look at it, but it keeps his fundamentals in check. If he knows his alignment and his ball position are right on every shot, he knows he can hit that shot. And every time he stands on a range, he has his T-bar and he works on ball position and alignment and then hits the shots from there. So yeah. that must give him so much confidence stood on the first tee that when he's lining up with his driver, he knows it's where it should be. Because when, when you watch pay, players hit shots without any alignment or guidance and you can see what they're doing, then you put them on it it's a different game all of a sudden. So imagine if your practice session was always like that, how it just became routine to put that alignment stick down and to work on ball position. You're getting the, 
it's just a lot easier to, you know, present the club where you want to instead of trying to figure it out from different places. Yeah. Um, and, where, and where you think it is compared to where it actually oh is, is often so different. I played, I played the Italian Open and I played with Richard Sterney. And after 18 holes, he came up to me and he just went, Dice, what are you doing? I went, what? He went, have you seen where your ball position is? I was playing terrible at the time. It was after I'd come back from my wrist injury and I was just aiming like 20 yards left and it was outside of my left, my left foot. And he's like, no wonder you can't it, compress the ball or hit the shots you want to hit. And he, he came on the range with me and he said, right, let's get you set up. And he set me up. And honestly, it felt like I was aiming 30 yards right. And I'm like, wow, this is going to yeah. take a bit of work. But that's where that felt where it should be to me. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting because we're always talking to the members here and saying that um, we want to create like a calibration station. So it's like, well, when you practice, calibrate where you want to be. And if any of the guys in here follow you on, on socials, they'll see that every time you post something, you've got that crosshair in, you've got those crosshairs all the time. And I think we've just released the app within the, the our membership program where you can now video your own golf swing. And for all the, the attendees in this, when they're, when they're doing this and they're videoing the golf swing, make sure you've got the alignment sticks down, make sure you've got your ball positions down because the amount of golf lessons that we give and we're going, well, they're, they're, they're just out of place. And yeah. then all these compensations have to be made just from some of the simple stuff. But they're maybe thinking of all the technical stuff that's going on from trying to shallow the club. And they might just have something really simple out of place, which is in, in the setup, which is really easy to look and manage, manage in the right way. Well, that's it. You can manage it. It's, I'd never do anything that doesn't give me any feedback. Never. You know, I put poles in, I'll put poles all over the place, balls, things something has to give me some feedback and ball position alignment, put them on track, man, find out where the club's been delivered, you know, things like that. So for me, just keeping on top of it, even as, even for me as a player, I had to work so hard on my ball position alignment because I knew I was aiming left and it was too far forward, but that kind of got me on the inside hitting up. Yeah. So then you get the double cross and you get the block right, and now all of a sudden I'm aiming straight, and I'm hitting down on it how I want to, and I'm compressing the ball just totally different. It's more like how I was 10 years ago instead of the five years ago, but I've had to work hard at it. It's taken me probably a year. Yeah, yeah. Of not loads of practice, but every range session I'll put the stick down. Yeah. It's taken me about a year to do, so it's just something you've just got to persist with. I would definitely recommend that from now till the day you can't play golf anymore, when you go on a range, put that T-bar down. Yeah. And it's, I think, the great thing, if you build the habits, because one of the things that's yeah. so important as well is that when you're over the golf ball and you're looking mm -hmm. at the target, it needs to look and feel the same. Whereas yeah. if, if you're somebody who's aiming 20 yards right and then you put the alignment sticks down, you go, wow, this feels miles off. Miles yeah. off. You've got to build that sort of, relationship with the target on the range so you just take it to the golf course and it feels exactly the same so if you build that habit it's one less thing to go wrong well carl always mentions doesn't he uh, building good habits yeah and that's probably the most simple habit you could have when you go on a range 
just keep the tea bar in your in your bag and just put it down and it's it's one of the most simple things out there on a driving range but it's probably the most effective yeah yeah definitely so let's get into some mindset mindset stuff simon i think it's it's really important um i was going to so i was going to say what separates the best from from the rest but i actually want to just go with what you see most amateurs do wrong when it comes to mindset what are the what are the commonalities that you see that the some of the listeners can go oh maybe that's what i'm doing i, I can relate to that what what do you what do you see what are the key things that um you notice so for mindset i would say the the biggest one that i see when i take them out on a course is first thing to see is danger it's the first thing they see and the first thing they think is i don't want to do that whereas actually if you could flip that and constantly think i want to do that you know just looking at the if you can look in if you can go into a shot that's what i think the best players in the world do they see a shot and they trust it now don't get me wrong they've got their swings ingrained to a within an inch so they can obviously do that a little bit easier. But if you actually commit to something you want to do rather than something you don't want to do, you're looking at a positive, you know, a positive, right? I want to start it at that tree. I want to get a little fade off that tree to onto that tree. If that's the shot you see, the visualization, then just go with it. Because the minute you start doubting yourself, you're not going to hit the shot you want to hit unless yeah. you've got unbelievable hand-eye coordination, you know, so it's the, it's the positive and negative, isn't it? We all see the negative in a lot of things in golf. I think golfers are some of the most negative people on the planet, but negativity is five times stronger than positivity. So the minute you get a negative mindset a negative thought in your head and we've all had them, we've all had them stood over a shot and you just think, God, oh, don't see this at all. And that's why I think you see certain players do really well on certain courses. They just see the shot straight yeah. away and they can commit to it. So it's the, the negativity, I would say, if you can kind of flip, flip it on its head and do what you actually want to do. Yeah, that's, that's, the, that's the, probably the biggest one for me, I would say. I always remember um, Carl Morris and Jamie Edwards at the time, they said, you never go to a supermarket with a shopping list of the things that you don't want. <laughs> exactly that and is that, so true isn't that, it that's stuck in my head because it's like you, you need to go with a list of what you do want and I think that brings us really to I suppose having a good yeah. pre-shot routine really um yeah. something that is crucial what would a what would your pre-shot routine look like could you talk us through what that would look like and some of the things that you'd be thinking about and doing mine literally especially it's probably better now than it was again five six years ago you know doing the sports psychology courses and things like that done Carl Morris's weekend as well mine is literally I'm just looking for for me I'm trying to deliver the club a little bit more on the outside I like to see like a two or three yard fade so I'm doing I'm stood behind the ball I'm doing an exaggerated move to get that club on the outside open up a little bit earlier and I'm almost I'm almost doing a swing like I'm feeling like I'm going to fade it 20 yards. But that's my exaggerated move. 
Then I stand behind the ball and then I'm like, right, that's the shot I see. Start at that. And I almost see the flight of the ball. And I don't hit it until I see it. And, it, and I might think, right, I want to hit a fade here, but actually someone's telling me to hit a little draw. I see the draw a lot more clear. So then I'll step up and go, right, so we need to start it there and hit the draw and just try and commit. And I almost tell myself what shot I want to hit. Me and my caddy used to do this thing all the time. As I was walking into the ball, I stood behind the ball, my caddy would always say, tell me what shot you see. And I'd explain it to him and he'd be like, right, commit. And I'm almost affirming what I want to do. Yeah. I'm not going, well, I want to hit a little draw here, but I don't like the look of that bunker down the right. Yeah. I'm just seeing what I want to do and then step up and pull it off. Well, sometimes, obviously. <laughs> yeah. But just affirming to my caddy or just telling myself in my head, right, this is what I want to do. I want to hit that. And I see it all the time with players when I get them on the course. I'll just say to them, talk me through your shot, tell me what you want to do. I'm not here. I'm listening to you at the end of the phone. Explain to me in as much detail what you want to do. And then the stand up and hit the shot. And I'm like, but you've told yourself you can hit it. The, yeah. the brain doesn't know a difference between you telling him, telling it that that's what you want to do and you actually doing it. So by you telling your brain that that's what you want to do, it thinks you've already done it. So you're yeah. just repeating it. I think, I, think it, I think this is a really important part. I've got notes down to talk about this and we've sort of got to that point really, really well because I think the one benefit, the one benefit as a tour player is that you have got a caddy. And if a caddy asks you a question, that's narrowing your focus because questions really narrow, narrow your focus to exactly what you want. Yeah. Now, the issue with obviously an amateur golfer is they don't have a caddy. Yeah. So they have to be their own caddy. So asking the right questions and you're dead right. If I ever get one of my lessons on the golf course, I will ask them questions as yeah. opposed to tell them what to do. I'm, I'm trying to get them to do it in their own mind. Um, so the power of asking questions is crucial. I want to, I want to go through an example here. Um, let's say on an approach shot to a, a par four, what sort of questions would you be asking yourself over a, an approach shot? What sort of things would you be asking yourself? Because I do think that if, if the, the, the viewers to this <clears throat> would have a series of questions that they could go, I never asked that question. <laughs> if I could ask that question when I'm over an approach shot, I might actually do something a bit different. So the thing for an approach shot for me that I did for years and years, the first question I say is, Where's the safe shot? Where's the safe bad shot? So I did a bit of filming today here, and there's a there's a hole, uh, 18th hole, par four, over water, pin was tucked on the left hand side. So straight away my head goes right. The safe bad shot is right at the pin. So I'm stood over that shot thinking right. I'm going to make a little drawing here now. So I can aim middle of the middle of the green and just hit a little drawing. If I, if I hit the perfect shot, I'll be four or five yards right of the pin. If I overdraw it, it might be a yard left of the pin. And if I hit it dead straight, I'll have a 30 footer. But that's where my safe shot is. Now that's not me saying I'm bailing out. 
that's me saying if I don't quite hit the perfect shot, that's where it'll finish. Which is most likely to happen as well, by the way. <laughs> what? The, that you're not going to hit the perfect shot either. I was just going to, I thought you meant me in the perfect <laughs> shot. Sorry. Definitely not. But you're not going to. So I, and again, I tell a lot of my players, it's not how good your good is, it's how good is your bad. We can all hit an eight iron to a foot. But when you don't quite put the swing or the thought process into the shot that you want, where does your bad shot go? Yeah. And I always used to aim for the fattest part of the green and work the ball into the flag from the safe part. Yeah. I think, I think it's, um, I'm just sort of smiling to myself here because it's so powerful. And I think there's a big difference. We talked about focusing on what you want, which is crucial. Um, and we're not saying that, thinking about where your bad shots going is focusing on what you don't want, but it really is important to understand that how many times in a round do you actually hit the shot that you want to very, very rare. If ever in a round of golf, you hit the exact shot that you want to hit. So you have to build into your strategy. If it doesn't go to plan, where do I want to be? So taking note of that, that, that question at the start, where's my safe miss really just allows you to bring in a good strategy to, to, Absolutely. If you do miss it, you're in a good place. Well, like the like the shots that I hit in today. So they got me hitting five shots into the. I had 100, 160, pin tuck left. So they got me to hit. Uh, I was talking them through the shots, and I probably hit one exactly how I wanted to. Went to about four feet. The others were all ranging from fifteen feet to thirty-five feet but they were all on the green and I didn't yeah. hit them how I wanted to, but they were all on the green. So I was putting, it's not like I've gone at the pin and pulled it in the water. I was still hitting. I was aiming for the fat part of the green and trying to work it in. A couple of them, I just hit dead straight. One of them, I didn't quite strike, came up a bit short, right? Uh, one went, drew a little bit, but went a bit long because I flushed it. And then the other one went to four feet but they were all within 30, 35 feet, but they were all on the green. Yeah, so, so my bad shot was 35 feet. I'll take that from 160 yards. If that's the worst I ever hit, I'll take it because I know my best is two or three feet. Yeah, yeah. So you're just building in that plan. You're building it. It sounds quite negative, but it's not. You're building in a plan for a miss. You're going, I'm making sure that if I select a spot here, if I miss it right or left, I've got a bit of a cushion, really. And I always, I always think about this when you watch the golf and um, all you see is the result of the shot. Let's say you've seen DJ, he's got a six iron in his hand and he knocks it to a foot and they go, oh my God, that's a brave shot. I'm going, he's probably missed his spot by five yards there. Absolutely. He's not going for that flag, but... He's, he's, he's allowed enough room that he, if he misses it, he's going close and not missing the green. Exactly. And the trouble watching it on TV, you only ever see the best shots as well. Exactly. So you think, I remember having a lad in and we hit, he, he had about 155 yards into one hole, pushed it a little bit and he's like, that's rubbish. And I was like, what do you mean it's rubbish? When you got 155 yards in, you've hit it to 22 feet. Yeah, but I should be in it closer than that. And then I got a book out that gave the number one on the PGA Tour from 155 yards. And his average was 24 feet. And I'm like, he's number one on tour. And you think you should be 10 foot closer 
Yeah, yeah. I'm like, you don't always hit it where you want to. I went, that's okay. 155 yards, 22 feet. I went, you can play with that. If that's the worst you ever do, you won't be, you won't be playing around Mottramore for very long. You'll be on PGA Tour. I think it's again, there's another, there's another one there with uh, just understanding and the expectations based on, you know, what I think most amateurs um, would be amazed of some of these numbers that the pros hit at and how far, far out they are really from proximity yeah. and also on the, on the putting stats as well. I know they'd be amazed at that. So key yeah. question I want to get, key, get, key question I think that the viewers can take from that is just to take note of where is the safe miss? If they've got an approach shot to a green, where is the safe miss and allow for that and put that into your plan. I think that's a really good yeah. one. Um, I want to go into a little bit of um, self-talk, um, whether it's internal or whether it's actually external. What should, what should golfers avoid saying? So what are the things that you hear? And I think one of the, the reasons I want to say this is because we all do it on the golf course. And until we are aware of something, we can't make, we can't change it. And I think once we make some of these things aware, people go, yeah, I say that, or I'm thinking that next time I'll do that, I'm going to change my mindset or maybe say something different. So what, what should golfers avoid saying on the golf course? So I think there's three things, Well, two of what you shouldn't say. And one's basically like the opposite, what you, what I'd like you to say. First one would be can't. Yeah. All the time. Well, I don't think I can hit this. Well, give it a go, you know, because as soon as you think you can't, you won't. Yeah. As soon as you think you can't, you won't. The other one for me is one that I learned from a life coaching course that I did, which is unbelievable. And I actually did a few sessions with this life coach and I talked to her about it. And it's putting yourself down. Putting yourself down she basically said to me, do you put yourself down? I went, well, yeah. She's like, why? I went, because I know I can do better. She's like, but aren't you trying your best? I went, yeah. She went, would you talk to your two girls the way you talk to yourself? I went, no chance. She went, why'd you do it to yourself then? She went, it has the same effect. She went, you don't know it, but it has exactly the same effect. You imagine having a caddy who talks to you how you talk to yourself yeah you'd be launching six irons at him but yet we talk to ourselves like that and that is one thing that i would so the the last thing that i was going to say is after every shot just try and find something positive about it whether it be oh my swing felt good or whether oh, i struck it beautiful might have gone 20 yards left but i struck it good just try and find something positive about it and not negative because it's so easy to find something negative about a bad shot. But if you can put a spin on it and even write it down, you know, I spoke with Ian Highfield and he said like writing positive stuff down about your golf, all of a sudden after three months, you've got this book and it's nothing but positive and you're looking through it going, oh yeah, I remember that six sign, I remember that. We only seem to remember our bad shots and the good shots get put to the bottom of the pile. But if you're looking at all your good shots, it's resonating with you way more. So, yeah, just try and find something positive about every shot you hit. And if you can't, just go, yeah, there's nothing. 
Yeah. But don't for, don't say, yeah, there's nothing because I did this and put a negative spin on it. Just don't say anything, but try and find something positive. Yeah, yeah. I think Lynn and Pia uh, Nilsson talk about the think, play, and then the memory box, obviously, after, which yeah. a lot of people understand the think and the play, what they do before the shot or during the yeah. shot. But then they're not necessarily working on themselves, what they do post shot, which is might be post calling shot. Self, yeah. Calling themselves an idiot or what are you, what were you doing? You know, we've all done it and we all still do it, but all having an awareness it. on it is, is really important. But then it has a big kick on effect to the pre shot, then. Exactly. Of course you it know, does. Post shot affects shot, pre shot affects shot, shot affects post shot, post shot affects pre shot. Yeah. And all of a sudden you get on a snowball effect. You make three, four bogeys from that one bad reaction to a shot that probably wasn't even that bad. Yeah. And yeah. we've all done it. Like you say, we have all done it. And we all, we all still do it. It's just to hopefully <laughs> yeah. do it a little bit, a little bit less. Yeah. Um, let, let's get into some questions. So for the guys in here now, just post your questions in the chat and we'll get around to as many as we can. I've got a couple of people who emailed me. So I'm going to go straight to these emails here. Right. Um, Right, I'll go to this first one here. This is off Sergio Batero. Um, I find myself missing two to four feet puts. I think these puts should be made some 80% of the time. Other than practice, do you have any recommendations to sink the, more of these puts consistently? Two to, uh, two to four feet, so they are quite close, these. Yeah, I mean, the first thing that kind of jumps out at me there is you're literally looking it for looking for the ball in the hole before you probably even hit the putt. Um, for me, looking at a putt that length, I would I would say line the ball up, get get yourself lined up, put a line on your ball. For me, it helps like you can't believe. It doesn't for everybody, but a little drill I would do is line it up. Stand behind. If you're happy with the line, stand into it and just try and roll the line as good as you can. Let the hole get in the way. Don't try and put the ball in the hole. Let the hole just get in the way. Because if I said to you, right, there's no hole there, put a line down, roll that line the best you can, you'd probably roll the line perfect nine times out of ten. Now, if you can do that, you read the green properly and you can roll that ball forget the hole, let, just let it get in the way. You see Spieth doing it, you see guys putting with their eyes shut. Because if you look at the hole, look back at the ball and close your eyes, the last thing you see is the hole. But you're not looking for it and you just trust your stroke. So there's a couple of really good drills there, but the one for me is just let the hole get in the way. Stop kind of trying to force the ball into the hole. Yeah, I love it. Just do what just focus on what you can control, which is really the stroke and getting the ball going. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, we've got one from Rick Reynolds here. Um, Andy, I'm working through the coaching plans and learning a lot. I have a question about equipment. How good do I need to be for equipment ball um, to really make a difference? I've told, told myself that once I'm playing solidly in the mid-80s, then I'll worry about upgrading my clubs. Do you think that's correct, Simon? It's a tough one, that. It's a tough one, that. I would... I mean, equipment can make a difference. You know, I used to help my pal's dad out, and he was, like, mid-80s, and I told him to switch to a certain driver and a certain ball, and he got an extra 12 yards from it. 
So in that respect, I think when you're going for loft and lie of your clubs, then yeah, I would say low to mid 80s, that's when it would start to make a difference and it'd be, they'd set them up to your swing then. Uh, I think that would make the difference. But ball, things like that, you know, have a little tinker about and find out what works best for you. Yeah, definitely. I think with the ball, I always think that experiment, but as soon as you find one yeah. that you like, stick with that one ball just stick so you know it. how it reacts, especially around the greens. Yeah. They all re re react so different and you notice the difference more so around the greens with the ball and the covers. So and different. It's, it's really I could literally, that. you could put a tailor-made of Callaway in a tight list, white, take the names off them, and I could tell you which one was which yeah. because the the tailor-made for me feels a bit firmer so it pops up a bit. The tight list, I know I can spin it so that's expect to see that a little bit lower and then the Callaway for me just absolutely shoots off the club face so again I'd see the flights that I was getting and probably know which it was so to me the tight list sorry Andy for <laughs> me the tight list is the one that reacts the best for me but there's players who will go no I like to see it come out a bit higher or I like to see it come off so I don't need to hit it as hard so there's yeah. one ball for everybody yeah and I think that's an important thing just just feeling what you like it's like choosing a club you've yeah. got to like the look and the feel of it as well so there's Definitely. so much personal preference involved in this um Definitely. right we've got donna donna duffy um do you think it's more difficult today to qualify for the tour as it was back when you did and if you could give your younger self a word of advice what would it be oh it's a good one um i think the standard of golf has got better so obviously the scores are going to get lower I think equipment has helped with that. So I think it's, you know, there's a there's more of an all-round aspect to golf now that there was when I was on tour. You know, I qualified in 2000. You know, I think there's a lot more elements now that you look at. Um, I wouldn't say it was a lot harder, but I'd say it was a bit harder to get on tour now the standard is just really, really good. I mean, you saw, you know, Cameron shoot 34 under a couple of weeks ago, which is ridiculous. I don't yeah. care how easy the course is, you've still got to shoot those scores. I mean, the worst score he shot was, what, 65? <laughs> yeah. With a couple of bogeys. You know, yeah. so the standard has definitely increased, has got better. But I think, it's down to people's fitness, the mindset and equipment. Um, what advice would I give to myself? Honestly, as hard as I worked on the range, on the putting and in fitness, I'd say work equally as hard with that. That is the one thing that now I wish I'd really worked on. Yeah bit of mindfulness, bit of positivity, read, just reading a bit more. I wish I'd done that instead of, you know, getting on a flight and watching a film for two hours that didn't entertain me at all, get stuck into a good book and make notes on it. Because I do that more now. And I feel like I know the game so much better now than I did even when I was playing at my best. Yeah. Brilliant. Okay, we've got Daniel uh, Kunkel. Hi guys, I'm a high handicapper with a 25 handicap and I train, play two to three times a week in the high season. I'm not seeing and not getting any progress in my game. That frustrates me. My time is limited. 
He said, would you recommend to play more? I play, he says he played 10 rounds last season or to train more. So practice more, I think he means by train. Um, so yeah, would you recommend that he plays more? He only played 10 rounds last year or practice more? 25. I'd say, I'd say play. I'd say play more. I really would. You know, you could practice, you could practice three hours a day, seven days a week. Getting on that course is a different game. So, you know, who was the guy who Carl interviewed? He did a podcast with him and he said, play stands for positive learning about yourself. Okay. And I always remember it. And he's like, you can't be playing and competing. He went, you can put all the hours in the world on the range, get out there and play. Yeah. So I would say play. Yeah, I love that. I think I would say exactly the same. I think there's just so much merit in getting out on the golf course and learning yeah. to play the game. It's something you talk about um, so so um, intensely, Simon, is about practising to perform as opposed to practising to just the swing. So I, yeah. I totally agree. Get on the golf course, learn more about you and learn to play the game. It's crucial. Yeah. Um, okay, here's a good question from Declan Dwan. How to continue around when you're, you are on a, on a score? Now, when you know you're on a score after nine holes. So you're doing well after nine holes. How do you continue that round with that feeling I'm doing well today? Easier said than done. But I feel that when people ask questions like that, the first thing that comes into their head teeing on the back nine is, don't mess this up. That would be what I would think. If you're thinking, how do I continue? Then you've maybe had a few rounds where you've lost the lost it a little bit. Whereas instead of thinking, don't mess this up, you almost want to go in and think, right, I'm three under, I want to get to four. I don't care if I make double, I'm going to try and get to four. You're always trying to improve. And the best form of, best form of defence for me is attack. And they say it all the time, you watch it in football, if you're attacking, you're not defending. So if you could get to two under, three under, it's like, right, I want to get to four under. And you, then you get to four under, right, I want to get to five under. Oh, I've just bogeyed one, back to four. Right, let's get it straight back. One thing I, people always say, who's the best player you've ever played with? And that's a really tough question. So I've played with a lot of really good players and I've seen some unbelievable rounds of golf. But the one person I learned the most from was Ernie Els. I played with him in Australia. And just his ability to get the birdie back after he'd made a bogey. So he'd make birdies, birdies, two under, and then he'd go, he'd have a six iron into a par five, walk off with six. And I'm looking at him going, God, my head would be spinning. Gets on the next hole, nine iron to eight foot, holds it. And I'm like, how's he just done that? And I watched him for two days and his ability to do that was better than anybody's I'd ever seen. And so that's when I started trying to implement it into my game. And, he, and I, I remember speaking to him in Abu Dhabi and I was like, how do you, what's your thought process when you're doing well? And he's like, well, I'm playing well. He went, I've got no need to be negative. So if I'm six under, I want to shoot seven. 
He went, the minute I think, oh, I hope I get in at five, he went, you're not. You're going to finish two or three. He said, so I just try and make birdies. And then if I make a bogey, I think, right, let's get it straight back. Yeah. And it was the best, best two days I've ever spent with anybody watching him play. I learned so much from him. Yeah. So I would say the best way to keep it going is try and improve it. Don't think, oh, I hope I finish at this score. Because if you play the practice round, you know, like I always say, when I used to play pro-ams, you're playing for a team, so you're trying to make as many birdies as you can. And it's amazing how many times you shoot six and seven under because you're purely focusing on birdies. You're not even thinking of bogeys. Yeah. And then you get on the first tee on a Thursday and think, oh, I'll just play myself into this round, bogey at the first. Oh. Yeah, it becomes, a, I'll try not to make a bogey as opposed to just, let's just go and play golf and see what I do. Yeah, what I do. yeah let's try and make another birdie. Yeah. 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 I mean, Okay, we've got Sandy Tuckerman. Loads of questions coming in now. I hope we can get to as many as we can. Um, great to hear the simplicity of ball position alignment. Easy to get caught up in technicalities. I totally agree. Any thoughts on how to get in and out of concentration between shots? Yeah, I mean, train it on the range. We don't. Nobody does. You know, every shot must have a purpose, whether it be on the course or on the range. You know, we're, we're, we're all guilty of hitting a shot on the range. Oh, that didn't quite go quick. I know what I did. Let's hit another. Whereas actually, if you could leave 30, 40 seconds be, between each shot, you're practicing what you're doing on the course, basically. And then you give every shot the process instead of just bashing balls. It's what everybody does but that's not the way you learn. So for me, it would be full process with every shot. You know, I was doing, and I, I was mixing it up a bit today. I, I did a bit of a range session myself. So I was in, I have this drill where I hit balls with my feet together because I find myself leaning into my left side and getting ahead of it a little bit. Balls, feet together, uh, feet with, hitting balls with my feet together you just can't move anywhere. You go that way, you fall over. You go that way, you fall over. And it's all about the rotation. So I hit three balls with that. And then I hit three chips with my left hand because I'm obviously trying to strengthen my wrist still and slow it down a bit. And then I hit two shots with my, my normal stance with the T-bar. And it's, but each shot, there's like 40, 50 seconds between each shot. So every time I step into it, I've got to think about it again. I'm not on autopilot. And I would say that is the biggest fault that most golfers do when they hit balls on a range. Yeah. They hit balls on a range, they'll hit 50 in 20 minutes. Yeah. And then they go out on the range and they're hitting 20 shots in 50 minutes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry, on the course. And they're hitting yeah. 20 shots in 50 minutes or maybe not even that. So you've got to kind of flip it. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's uh, definitely good advice. Right, we've got Virgil Matthews. I started golfing after my first coach. I felt great, play felt great playing decent golf. After one winter, I could not hit the ball solid again. He said he's lost 50 or 60 yards, tried numerous coaches. What is the best way of getting back to where I was? <laughs> Tough question. 
50 or 60 yards. 50 or 60 yards he's lost. Have you snapped your drive or something? <laughs> it's a lot, <laughs> isn't it? It's a lot. Um, but it's like we said at the beginning, just strip it all back and go back to fundamentals. Absolutely start again. Imagine yeah. your day one. I'm starting golf again and build up from there. Because if you if you're at this point and you try and get to a certain point by trying loads of different methods, you're just gonna literally, you know, stay stay exactly the same. And yeah. it won't like like we said, it won't get any better. But strip it all back, go back to basics. It could be quite boring for the first month, but you give it four or five months, then you'll start to see that yeah. rise. I think this is this is Virgil for this. I would say that this is such a, a key, a common thing that golfers will often come for a coaching session when you're in the probably the mindset that you are, where it's like it's it's gone terribly wrong. I don't know what's going on. I'd say one of the most important things that you can do is get absolutely clear on, on, on what's going on, really. Um, when people come to us, they've probably got six swing thoughts. Yeah. Going, I'm trying this, I'm trying this, I'm trying this, and none of it's working, and then they've lost where they are. As Simon said, get back to basics, check your grip, check your posture, check your stance and your ball position, and then just get clear on, on what it is. If you've lost 50 or 60 yards, there's, a prob there's probably a good chance that, that club face has gone out somewhere because to lose that much that much yardage, you've probably got a weak face. So I'd check the grip, I'd check the club face, but get clear, get clear. Don't guess and try 10 things. Yeah. Fundamentals first and then, and yeah. then get clear, really. Absolutely. Um, right, we've got one, Joachim Vogler, if that's how correct, if that's correct, I'm not sure. Um, Rory recently said he could save amateurs five or six shots per round caddying for them. Where exactly do you think a caddy would save amateurs those shots? I think most parts. I think shot choice. I think club choice. I think, again, round the green, shot choice. Uh, putting, I think we all under and over read. So there's four things straight away. Yeah. I, I agree with Rory. I'm, I'm sorry, but I it's agree. It's dead right, isn't it? It's dead right. Dead right. Okay, great, great. You no, know, like, but like I'll I'll get somebody, you know, comes in to see me and they're off six, and then I take them out for nine holes, just set up little things for them, and I mean I had one guy off six, he shot three under for the front nine, and he's like I've never shot under par, but I just kept it simple. I picked his clubs, I told him what shot to hit. Playing off six, you can play, and he could. He hit it lovely. And, but there was just a few shot choices where left pin is trying to hit a fade into that left pin yeah. and he's out the rough. So I'm like, squeeze a nine iron, pitch it at the front of the green and get it rolling, you know, up the green as opposed to trying to fly it all the way back there. And it's just little things like that is where it makes the, all the difference. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. I agree. Um, right. We've got one from Daniel. I think we've got one more question because I know we're getting close to seven o'clock. Um, I'm a mid-handicapper, uh, Danielle, sorry, a mid-handicapper. I know the basics um, and work on the mind and body. Uh, what is a good idea to focus on to get better? Is, the, is this the time to work on uphill, downhill, draws? 
fade short game approach. Um, when do you think it's a good idea to start working on some of these other elements like, you know, sh shot shaping and some of the awkward lies and things like that? I think when you're confident in the swing that you've got, I think if you're confident in the swing you've got and you know, it's repeatable, then yeah, start working at different shots. Um, short game, you can never work too hard on your short game. Um, I remember, again, uh, oh, what's his surname? Alistair, we well, used to carry for Monty. Oh. Alistair McLean, Alistair McLean. He carried for me for a bit, literally every day. Right, let's get on the short game. I'm like, flipping it, you like the short game, don't you? And <laughs> Dice, you can't work hard enough at it. It'll save your shots all day long. Yeah. And he was right. He was absolutely bang on. So a short game, if you're happy with your swing, start learning it in the shots. Highs, fades, lows, draws. Yeah. But put a serious shift in at the short game. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's, it's great to, to experiment that. And I think Daniel asking that question, it's really important because most people are going, I'm just going to practice off a driving range map that's perfectly yeah. flat and try and yeah. build a consistent golf swing that really doesn't, then there's, there's, there's time and place for that. But as we know on the golf course, yeah. there's no flat lie. We've got wind, we've got all sorts of things going on. So it is good to practice the, I suppose, the randomness that we get on the golf course. So I think, yeah, as soon as you feel comfortable. Well, you can, you can get on the range. You can hit. 49 irons all perfect they're all gone 150 to 152 yards they've all drawn three yards you get on the first hole pins tucked right and you've got 142 yards it's like oh right i've got to manipulate this one now <laughs> yeah yeah and you've not tried you you've been in these beautiful nine irons now you've got to manipulate it it's not the shot that dictates the swing. It's the, you know, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, Well, yeah, the yeah. shot does dictate the swing. Yeah. It's not the swing that dictates the shot. Yeah, you could have a ball below the feet with the wind off the left. and Absolutely. It's Walk like down so the right. many. Yeah, there's so many different factors. So many. And it's great that she's asked that to practice them. You know, the amount of times I'll get 120 yards and I'll just pick, I'll do a trap man test from like 115 to 135. 138 is what I am my wedge. So I'll do 115 to 138 and I just use my wedge. So even if it's 115, right, I've got to really take a bit off this because they're the shots that you're going to have on a course. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's brilliant. Brilliant advice for the, for the viewers. Again, to this is most people will not vary the distance. They hit that one club. And yeah. I think what you've done there, 115 to 138, if amateurs would go to the range and go, right, I'm going to do some wedge play today. I'm hit this one club at this range of distances. That's going to be huge yeah. when they transfer that to the golf course. Massive, and they're yeah. learning when they practice as opposed to just repeating, really. Do you know what, as well, Andy? They'll find a number that they're really comfortable with. Yeah. And then that's when they can take it onto the course. Right, I've got a par five. God, I was really good at 125 with my wedge the other day. I'm going to leave myself 125. Yeah. 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 Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, Simon, look, I'm respectful of your time. I, I, I want to, yeah, I want to ask, I want to finish off with some quick fire. And what I'm going to probably do is I'll hang on for like five, 10 minutes with the rest of the guys after this to answer a few questions. We've got loads coming in still. Um, quick fire. What is the best advice that you've ever had? Uh, <laughs> best advice I've ever had. 
probably just work out, make, make sure you work harder than everyone else. Okay. And, then, the, and then, you can, then you've got no regrets. What is the worst advice that you hear? Keep your head down. Yeah, totally agree. Um, what would you change about golf? The time spent playing it. <laughs> Takes too long. Takes too long. I'd speed it up. Okay, what's on your golf wish list? Golf wish list. Um, probably win another European tour event. Win another European tour event. There's a comeback, guys. He's coming back soon. <laughs> I don't um, know how long it'll be, but... <laughs> and, and the last one, what are three golf truths Three golf truths. Um, oh, that's a good one. It's a good one. I'm putting you on the spot here. Oh, you are. As in what, what somebody you know, would say. Now, what, what, would, what do you know to be true about golf? We get loads of different responses. There's no right or wrong for this. It's like we get so many different responses. What do you know about, what do you know to be true about golf? I would say it's one of the most enjoyable and frustrating games in the world <laughs> at the same time. Yeah. I don't agree with Churchill when he said it's a good walk spoil. I think it's the total opposite. Yeah. And I genuinely believe this. It's, a sim it's quite a simple game if you keep it simple. Yeah. Love it. Three golf truths. I love it. Everyone we ask that question gives a very, 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 very different response. It's just really good to hear the, dif the differences between everyone, really. Like, I bet you get some really good answers to that. Three, three great ones there. Well, look, look Simon, I'm, I'm going to let you go because I know you've got stuff to do over there in Turkey. And um, okay. I want to thank you so much for sharing the last hour and, and just sharing your experience with, with the, the members here. Um, where, where can they go and follow you and, and where's the best place that you're on social that they can just interact with you? Yeah, uh, my new website's just got up and running today. Okay. Um, so it's simondysonacademy.com. Um, I'm on Instagram, on Simon Dyson Golf. Um, yeah, they're, they're the main two, really. I'm pleased I've got their website up and running. I've been having a lot of people, been having a lot of trouble with it. So okay. thought get a new one set up so yeah simondysonacademy.com brilliant well make sure you go and follow simon and on, on socials and uh interact with him i'm sure he's yeah well, we know he's pretty active on there you can see what he's getting up to and uh you'll see his comeback career at some point comeback career <laughs> and well and hopefully you'll see a nice bit of work between us guys as well exactly yeah exactly yeah and look forward to catching up obviously when i'm back so um likewise that'd be fantastic i'm gonna hang on and just answer a few questions in here anyway okay. but thanks again si. Look, really appreciate your time mate and um cheers you, Andy. you enjoy the next few days with the, the golf school as well thanks mate cheers cheers thanks, everyone mate. see you soon Bye. Si. thanks Bye. mate